going to read to you one of my favorite books this morning, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. And I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast... Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box. And Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I am going to be carsick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said I sang too loud. At counting time, she said I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend anymore. He said that Philip Parker was his best friend and that Albert Moyo was his next best friend and that I was only his third best friend. I hope you all sit on attack. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone part and lands in Australia. There were two cupcakes in Philip Parker's lunch bag. And Albert got a Hershey bar with almonds, and Paul's mother gave him a piece of jelly roll that had little coconut sprinkles on the top. Guess whose mother forgot to put in dessert? It was a terrible... Horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist. (laughs) And Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. (laughs) Next week, I said, I'll be in Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot. And while we were waiting for my mom to go get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy. And then, uh, when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was being a crybaby. While I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I am having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, I told everybody. No one even answered. So then we went to the shoe store to buy some sneakers. Anthony chose white ones with blue stripes. Nick chose red ones with white stripes. I chose blue ones with red stripes. But then the shoe man said, we're all sold out. They made me buy plain old white ones, but they can't make me wear them. When we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with the copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk, and I was as careful as could be except for my elbow. He also said don't fool around with his phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. 
It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate lima beans. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot, I got soap in my eyes, my marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. Well, I don't know if you've ever had a day like that. We won't ask for a show of hands. I know I've had days like that. Uh, sometimes maybe I've had months like that, or maybe it seems like that. Uh, I think we can all relate to the fact that uh, the bad stuff happens in life, right? It just does. Sometimes you wake up with gum in your hair. <laughs> sometimes there are lima beans for dinner. Sometimes your marble goes down the drain and you have to wear your railroad train pajamas. Right, Dave? Yes. And doggone it, sometimes there's even kissing on TV. Some days are like that. The question is, how do we respond when there are days like that? How do you respond when the news isn't good at the doctor or terrorist attack or you lose your job? Uh, maybe a friend stabs you in the back or, or someone close to you dies despite your prayers that they would be healed. How do we respond? And the list could go on and on of these, these difficulties that we face. Uh, one way we might respond to problems and difficulties uh, would be to, uh, to, to cry about it. And... It appears at first reading that that's exactly what Jesus would have us do if we are hashtag blessed. <laughs> I think we need to look a little bit closer at that. Just last week, we started walking through this, this list in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is talking. It's the beginning of, of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts with this list of, of, uh, of people who are blessed. And we're, we're calling it hashtag blessed because we're cool like that. And um, uh, just so you know, pretty much every, anything I post over the next couple of uh, months is just going to be, it's going to say hashtag blessed at the end uh, just because I'm cool like that, I guess. Um, this, this list, uh, and it starts with uh, the phrase, every, every item in this list, we'll see in a second when we read it, starts with blessed are the people that are, and it tells who, who is blessed. Uh, it's, it's been called the Beatitudes because the, uh, the, the word in, in Latin uh, for blessed is beati, and so uh, that uh, over the years has been called, uh, it's been called this list of, of the blesseds or the blessed or uh, the Beatitudes. And if we look at that list, it might be, and you'll see it in a minute, or if you've read it before, you'll know that, uh, that, that it might, these, this list isn't necessarily the people that we would always say, oh yeah, those are the blessed people. I think about, uh, when I think about being blessed, my first time, first thing that comes to mind is is financial. I, I'm not sure uh, why that is. Maybe it should be something else. I don't know. But uh, uh, the first thing I think about is, you know, if, if I'm blessed, then there's money in the bank. Or, or maybe blessing might look like the things that money can buy, right? And so I have a, 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 a new house or a new car or a great vacation, then, oh, I'm blessed, right? Uh, 
Other times we might feel hashtag blessed if we uh, have good relationships or, or when someone does something nice for us. Uh, it's usually when I'm feeling happy about life and things are going my way that, uh, that I might put a little hashtag blessed on the end of of whatever I'm looking at, whatever I'm posting, whatever I'm going through. It's interesting, that's interesting, uh, that, that whole happiness thing, because uh, in the original language, if you translate blessed, that word, uh, not in Latin, uh, the Bible wasn't written in Latin uh, originally, uh, it's actually the New Testament was in Greek, and if you take that word blessed in Greek, it actually means happy or fortunate. Uh, so it, it's almost as if Jesus is saying you're happy if... And it's it's not that he's, he's saying, I will bless you if you do this. It's not this, I'm going to earn God's blessing by doing this. He's saying, the people that are like this are blessed. It's, they're fortunate. They're happy. These are the fortunate people. They are already blessed because of who they are and what they're doing. But if you looked at, through that list of, of Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, I, I think you'll agree that this is not the, the typical blessings list that we might think of. Last week we saw that that it's the humble people, those who are poor in spirit who are blessed. They, they will receive the kingdom of heaven, it says. And this week, it looks like it's all about being sad. Uh, we're going to look at the second one, but let's read the whole, uh, the whole list together. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're going to go back to verse 4, the second uh, item in this list. Uh, Jesus says, those of you who are mourn, who are mourning, hashtag blessed. <laughs> blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I guess we could translate it, happy are the sad. Kind of doesn't necessarily ring true in our in our ears doesn't make much sense let's let's look a little deeper in there people who study this this type of thing say that there are nine words in the greek language that refer to grief or mourning and the one that jesus uses here when he said blessed are those who mourn is the most intense word of all it describes a deep sorrow a grief an agony uh, so so i guess you know at first reading it looks like anyone who is in agony over whatever jesus says well you're blessed but I think we need to look a little deeper. First of all, let's note that that uh, all of these things in this list, the Jesus list, if you look at all the rest of them, uh, they all have a spiritual component to them. It's it's something that is, is uh, they're, they're heart issues, right? They're things that we can actually implement in our lives, the decisions that we can make in order to be like that, uh, things that we can work on. It's an it's an issue of the heart. So, so to think that Jesus is talking about anyone, anywhere who is sad over anything, uh, it's not necessarily the case. Uh, this isn't just depressed people or someone who had to watch kissing on TV, right? Uh, it, 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 this is a lot more to it. I mean, that book uh, is cute and all, 
But, and obviously it's a metaphor for a lot of the other bad stuff that we have to deal with in life. I mean, the, the, the things that we face in this life can get pretty intense at times. Sin has, has reached its tentacles into virtually every aspect of, of our earthly lives and, and has affected many things in this, this, uh, existence here on the, in this world. If you are alive, you have to face pain and longing and, and grief and mourning, even face death. As I, as I kind of mulled this over this week and uh, I started thinking about the ways that people react to problems with pain and suffering uh, in the world, uh, some people give in right away, I think. Some people just kind of uh, roll over, oh, I'm defeated, uh, I'm overwhelmed, everything is awful, there's nothing we can do. And so sometimes that's the posture that people take. Some people like to complain about it all, right? Uh, the government should do this. My ex should have done this. Uh, my boss isn't fair. Uh, they, they, they live lives complaining. And, and to be, be fair, there is a lot to complain about. <laughs> um, another way that we, that we face these things is to complain. Some people have a have a pity party. A party. They're the victim. They they they. It's it's. This is this is happening to me. Why is this happening to me? I don't deserve to be treated this way. I don't deserve this. Uh, whether it's sickness or relationship problem, whatever the case, uh, it sends them into a spiral of depression. And and uh, and I'm the victim. And there's there's nothing I can do about it. Some people uh, stand up and fight against it all, right? And uh, they don't want to succumb to it, so they, so they do what they can to fight against it. They're not going to get me. Uh, I'm just going to jump right in. And, and some people are, are quick to chime in with their answers to all of the world's problems, right? And we just need to do this, and they should just do this, and, and we fight back. I'm sure there are other ways that, that we respond. There are, and I'm not saying that any of those are completely right or completely wrong. But I think that none of them, uh, none of those responses to suffering and pain and evil in the world are 100% right. According to this, uh, there's only one thing that made Jesus' list of those who are blessed, one response to suffering in the world, and that is holy mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. As I, uh, one of my first questions in, in approaching this, this verse is to say, well, what are they mourning about? Uh, and, and there, are, as, as I studied, uh, there are kind of two camps, uh, of theologians over, over time. Uh, one camp says it's, it's, uh, that, that we're, Jesus is talking about people who are mourning over any type of loss, a, a lot of grief and sorrow. Um, and, and the other camp says, uh, no, it's not just that. Um, uh, Jesus is actually meaning specifically talking about people who mourn over their sin people who have who recognize that they are sinners and they are mourning over that fact i like a third perspective that uh, that kind of encompasses both followers of jesus living in this world i believe should should realize that there is something that there is there is some place uh, better coming that we are heading toward heaven we're not home yet we're here in this world and so that we are dealing with the effects of sin whether that's through the pain of of loss and grief and and sorrow and and suffering or whether that's because of our own sin uh, we mourn over the effects and the power of sin in this world and in our lives. 
One translation of the, uh, of, of the word used for, for mourning here is mourning the power of the wicked over the righteous. Or we could say mourning the power of, of sin over, uh, over, over good. We have to deal with the effects of sin, some of which are even of our own making. Because we're not home yet. And so there's this sense of longing, and in that longing, there is mourning of what we're still walking through. Certainly, we, we mourn over loss in our lives. Virtually all of us have felt the grief of someone um, close to us who has died. Uh, it's, it's hard. Uh, we don't just get over it. Life changes for us from that moment forward. And, and, and so we have to walk through that mourning, that grief, that sorrow of a lost relationship. In heaven, there will be no death. And we won't have to walk through that anymore. But now, because we're not home yet, we have to deal with mourning. We grieve uh, many things, though. Uh, tragedy, natural disasters that take lives and cause heartache in this world. And, and so that's the effects of, of sin in this world. We mourn when it appears that evil is winning, when crazed gunmen take innocent lives, or, or when children are abused, or when babies are aborted, or when dictators wage war. The list goes on and on. We grieve when, when terror strikes. It's a holy mourning over the effects of other people's sin. In this world, right? And so I think Jesus is, is addressing that as well. It, we, we grieve, uh, sometimes the things that we wish, uh, maybe goals, uh, unachieved, dreams unfulfilled. We grieve those losses. One author has, uh, has kind of summed all of that up by saying that we mourn at the seeming slowness of God's justice. So God, uh, so we're living in this world and we have to deal with this stuff and it looks like sin is winning and, and there's all this stuff going on and uh, we're not home yet and we wish that God would just come in and take over and because he doesn't and when he doesn't, we mourn. Uh, I think we can all relate to that. But there is also one more big part of our existence here on earth that, that, that may hit close to home that we don't necessarily want to deal with too much and that is the fact that we should be mourning our own sin. We're not home yet. We still still deal with temptation. We still deal with the draw toward sin. And to quote the Apostle Paul from Romans, he says that we all fall short of the glory of God. And we should be upset about that. And we should grieve that. We should agonize over sin in our own lives. I think it's, easier to cry out to God in the middle of injustice stemming from other people's sin. It's much more difficult to come to a place of deep sorrow over my own sin and its effects. The Bible's full of examples of this. King David in the Old Testament knew what it meant to mourn over his sin. Uh, after he'd been caught and confronted uh, for adultery and, and murder, he cried out to God in Psalm 51, just part of it, the first four verses. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. 
Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. There's, there's an ownership of, uh, of sin and wrongdoing there, right? It acknowledges David's personal sin. He, he falls on the mercy of God. He has grieved God and in that he is grieving himself. Instead of dismissing it or downplaying it, uh, David owns it and it tears him up and he goes to God in mourning and sorrow. The prophet Isaiah, a couple hundred years after David, he was confronted with a with a vision of God. It was a great, glorious thing, and God is is this holy, majestic God, and and there's smoke, and there's there's fire, and and God is just holy, other, and and in the midst of that, Isaiah says in chapter six, verse five, "Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Isaiah was a pretty holy guy and he was trying to follow God. I mean, anybody that saw Isaiah's life would say, well, he's a prophet and he's a great guy. But compared to God, Isaiah was ruined. (laughs) He was unclean and it devastated him. And that theme carries through scripture. I think of one other scripture in the, in the New Testament. James, Jesus' brother and leader of the early church. He's instructing Jesus' followers in James chapter 4 verses 8 and 9. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Kind of a depressing guy, huh? Grieve, mourn, wail. But he says that's what we that's how we should treat our, our our sin. When's the last time that you wailed over your sin? I think it's popular today. We hear it when we sing songs, we hear it in 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 many churches, we talk about it ourselves, and it's 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 great to talk about the grace of God. Well, God's grace covers us, and it does, and it's it's wonderful, but it's nothing we should take advantage of of and just assume because I think at times we have lost the seriousness of sin. Ah, It doesn't matter what I do. God will will forgive me. It does matter. I know I've been guilty of that. I I tend to dismiss or to to downplay things in my own life. Maybe maybe that's just me or maybe, maybe that's all of us. I mean, we say, well, it's not that bad. I mean, uh, I, I'm not an axe murderer or, or anything, right? I'm just, you know, maybe I, I slipped up and, and told a little lie there, but ah, that's, you know, it's no big deal. I, I mean, I, or maybe I'm jealous of, of that guy or that girl and, and the, the things that they're doing that I wish I was doing or the, 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 the promotion that they got that I wanted or the, the, the stuff that they have that I don't have. I mean, it's, I mean, maybe secretly I hope that that I'm more hashtag blessed than they are. I mean, I'm not a bad person. I, maybe there, maybe there are habits. Sure, there might be some habits that are in my life that hardly anybody, that nobody knows about. Maybe there's attitudes that are pushed back in that deep corner somewhere. But I mean, it's not that big a deal. I can deal with that. I, God, God still loves me. It's really not that big a deal. It is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. Any sin, falling short of the glory of God, uh, my selfish, sinful thoughts, attitudes, actions, those things sent Jesus to the cross. It is a big deal. It's not just assuming that God's just going to cover it all. Uh, Jesus said that those who mourn over their sin, those who cry out to God for mercy, those are the ones who are blessed. Blessed. 
Blessed are those who mourn. Mourning over the circumstances of life. Mourning over the effects of other people's sin. Mourning over our own sin. We mourn because we live in an imperfect world and we're not home yet to heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. There's another part of the verse, right? That's just the beginning part. Uh, what happens? What, what, are, what, what do those mourners get? What is the, uh, what is the, the, the bonus? What is the prize? What does Jesus says? Uh, you're blessed if you mourn. Why? Because they will be comforted. And this is kind of where it gets cool. God brings comfort to our mourning. Even in our longing, there is hope for a day when all tears will be wiped away and there will be no more mourning. Uh, the, the verb tense here uh, is, is not just that that's coming someday. Uh, you stick it out because that's coming someday. But it actually uh, communicates that there is ongoing comfort. That, that those who are continuing to mourn will continue to be comforted. Not only now, but also with the hope of complete comfort to come. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted and continue to be comforted and continue to be comforted. I found it fascinating this week uh, in looking at the word comfort, the, the, the root word in Greek. I know I'm talking about all these Greek words as if I, you know, you, you all just say, ah, oh, it's Greek to me. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's significant. The, the same word uh, used for for uh, for comfort here in in the in the Greek is is uh, is parakaleo, which uh, which in addition to meaning uh, com- to comfort or to empathize, literally means called to one side. And and here's the here's the cool thing. So it's not just oh I comfort you or oh uh, you know uh, hang in there, but it's I'm drawn to your side to walk through this with you. That same word, parakaleo, is the same root word for that's used for the Holy Spirit, God himself, uh, the comforter. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In other words, blessed are those who mourn, God himself will be drawn to your side in the middle of it. The Holy Spirit is a personal presence. He comes to our side, uh, even in, especially in our holy mourning. In saying that mourners will be comforted, Jesus is saying that in the middle of your deepest agony, there is a holy God who walks with you, leading you to eternal comfort in heaven. God has always heard the cry of the brokenhearted. In Genesis, he heard the blood of Abel crying out from the ground, it says, after he was killed by his brother Cain. Uh, God destroyed the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of an outcry that had reached his ears. He heard the groans of the Israelites and they were slaves in Egypt. Uh, as, as musician and author Stu Gerard writes, uh, he says, throughout the story of scripture, God hears the cry and draws near. It's like he can't help himself. He cannot resist the cry of the brokenhearted, the victim, and the vulnerable. He is drawn to their side. Ultimately, God's comfort is his presence. He walks with us through the morning. He brings forgiveness. He brings grace. He brings encouragement. He brings justice. But most of all, he brings himself. 
Many people ask questions like, why do I have to go through suffering? Uh, Why is there pain in this world? Uh, Why do I have to walk through this valley of the shadow of death? Why do we have to mourn? A counselor by the name of Al Andrews, uh, when he was asked that question, why do we have to mourn? He answered it this way. He says, because if you mourn, you will be comforted. And if you don't, you won't be. Mull that over this afternoon. If you mourn, you will be comforted. If you mourn, God is drawn to your side. If you don't mourn, maybe maybe that doesn't happen. When, when, when you meet Jesus in the middle of your suffering and you find that he is enough, there is a depth of relationship that develops that will not develop any other way. I believe with all my heart, that one main reason that God doesn't just give me everything I want and get rid of all the pain in the world is that there are things that I will not learn if I don't go through that. There is an intimacy with God that I cannot experience unless we walk through the valley together. Can I say that again? There is an intimacy with God that I will not experience unless we walk through the valley together. I I don't, I won't know all of Jesus and his blessing until I walk through mourning with him and he comforts me. As we've already heard today, the the pain might remain. The situation might not change too much. The grief might still hang on. But even in the middle of that, I am blessed because God himself is drawn to my side and he is enough. This... um, This beatitude is counterintuitive. It doesn't really make sense. It's not one of those things you go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It kind of doesn't. Mourning usually doesn't equal blessing. But it does if we realize that that's when God is called to our side in the middle of it. Comfort doesn't even immediately bring relief. But it brings intimacy and it brings hope. Those who mourn will be comforted. Heaven is coming. Sin will be eradicated. The effects of sin will be erased. But even now, comfort means God's presence with me right in the middle of the pain. I quoted um, author and musician Stu Gerard uh, a few minutes ago. He wrote a book on, on the Beatitudes that I've found to be inspiring as I've been reading through it. He's actually a, a musician. Maybe you've heard of the band Delirious from years ago. Um, and, and he continues to be a musician. He was in, in, uh, in England and has moved to Nashville. And, and I want to read a little bit about his account uh, after his family had just moved to Nashville and meeting his, uh, his next-door neighbors. He says uh, it was Jimmy and, and Carol and their family. And he says Jimmy was a, was a New York Italian and had been married to Carol for nearly 60 years. They had moved to Tennessee to be close to family and grandchildren, so we got to know Jimmy, Carol, and their 40-something-year-old son, Scott. Scott has Down syndrome, and he delighted in showing us family photos from the 80s and his Taekwondo outfits emblazoned with all his achievements. 
for the next couple of years, we'd see Jimmy every day working on the neighborhood landscaper, mowing his lawn or spending time at the pool with his family. Scott, apart from being a black belt in Taekwondo, was an amazing cornhole player and practiced for hours in the backyard with his imaginary friends. Jimmy took it on himself to show us the neighborhood ropes, to make sure that that we got to know everyone and to tell us what we needed to know about the Homeowners Association, which was a new concept for us. He says, in the UK, if we didn't cut our grass, we'd get long grass. If we don't cut our grass in our new neighborhood, we get a $50 fine. (laughs) One day, two years after moving in, we found out that Carol had cancer, and it was pretty clear that it was advanced and serious. After a few months of treatment so harsh and devastating on the body, it became all too much. Carol died that spring. Jimmy came and told us, uh, a man not knowing how to handle his grief, voice wavering in shock at losing his wife of 60 years. (laughs) Scott told us in the best way he knew how by coming over to Karen and me and holding us in his famous bear hug. There were no words, really, to offer Jimmy. Everything I felt like saying seemed trite and shallow, but for us as friends and literally next-door neighbors, it didn't seem right to withdraw completely and just let him get on with it just because I didn't know what to say. It was April, and the spring weather was warming up fast like it had no regard for the fact that life had stopped for Jimmy and Scott. Nature sent a message from the divine. The trees were budding and the grass just kept growing as if to say, we have to carry on. So that was it. For the next few weeks, without being asked, my way of joining with Jimmy's pain and being present was to mow his lawn. He never forgot it. I think not only do we experience God's presence and his comfort as we mourn, we also have a responsibility to be God's presence in the lives of other people as they mourn. And so there's there's uh, several takeaways, I think, when we look at this little phrase, this one sentence, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. People accuse pastors of taking one little sentence or a word and being able to talk for an hour. <laughs> it's probably true. I remember I wrote a, pa- a paper in uh, in seminary on a passage, I believe it was five verses in Galatians, and I had to write a 14-page paper. So they they teach us these things. (laughs) But I think if if we take the words of Scripture, the very words of God, we just take a phrase or a sentence, and we let it live in us, and we dive deep with it, and we spend some time wrestling with it, and we wonder what that's... There are a lot of things that we can pull. And some of it, they say that Scripture is is living and active, right? It's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the dividing of soul and spirit. It speaks directly to the, the heart of the issue, Scripture says, about itself. And so for some of us, uh, as we as we wrestle with these things, it might mean, oh, my takeaway is this, and I need to do that. For others of us, it might mean, well, I need to do this. or uh, And then maybe uh, uh, the next time you come back to this, it might be something else that 
God pinpoints. And so I think there are, there are many things as we spend time with this little sentence from Jesus' most famous sermon. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. One thing is, is that if you are mourning today, take heart. Because Jesus not only gives us the promise of heaven someday, but he is drawn to your side as you walk through the mourning. Some of us maybe should be mourning more over our sin than we do. We may need to be asking God, what is it in my life that does not uh, measure up? What is it in my life that falls short of your glory? Break me in that. As we ask him to do that, he reveals those things and brings his forgiveness and his healing even to our broken soul. It could be that you need to look for those opportunities to be the hands and feet and presence of God's comfort in the life, life of someone who is mourning. Look for ways to be the blessing in the life of someone who is who is mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Will you stand with me? Let's just bow our heads and, and spend a minute or two allowing God to, to help us know what to do with this. Lord, I, I pray that you would bring your comfort and your presence to all of us who who walk through the deep valleys of life. Lord, all of us face issues, uh, the, the effects of sin in this world and the, the problems that it causes. And, and Lord, sometimes it just seems overwhelming and we're not quite sure what to do. Lord, remind us, help us, help us to know that we know that we know that there is a God who loves us, that your spirit is enough, that the comforter has come to our souls. And you not only provide the promise of a, of a place where there will be no more mourning or crying or pain, but that you walk with us through the mourning and the crying and the pain. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we also confess today that we fall short of the glory of God. We, we, we know you already knew that. We want you to know that we know that. Help us to, to mourn over that. And to allow you to bring your forgiveness and your healing and your strength to stand up to the temptations that we face. Help us to allow you to form your righteousness and holiness inside of us. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, bring to mind people that, uh, that we can bring blessing to. That we can be your hand, your voice of comfort as they mourn. I pray that you will help us to represent you well in the lives that we live. Father God, we, we need you. We can't do this on our own. We want to be your representatives in this world as you've called us to be. And so in, in just a second, as we walk out of these doors, Lord, we, we're, not, we're not worthy of it. We, we fall short. We're, we're even mourning ourselves, and, and yet you call us to be your representatives in this world. I pray that you would give us the opportunities and the strength to be a comfort to those who are mourning.
Father God, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for the, the, the comfort that we receive as your spirit uh, speaks to us, even in a place and a time like this. And I pray that as we go from here, that we can recognize that it is only by your spirit that we can represent you in the world where we live. It is only by your spirit that we can, uh, we can walk through the, the difficult days. It is only by your spirit that we can be forgiven. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Thank you for your comfort. Thank you for being called to our side. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.